This is Wabi Sabi Podcast, and I am your host, Adam Yasmin. Thanks so much for being here, for listening, for engaging in the content, for your feedback, and for subscribing. I definitely welcome all the feedback through all the channels, as I think that authentic engagement is more important than mindless subscribing. So please take a moment, whenever you have a moment, to connect. You could do so on my website at adamyasmin.com or through Instagram at adamyasmin. want to take this moment to remind people of the importance of building resilience in the face of everything that we're dealing with, especially here in the States, as we're venturing into uncharted territory with this now contested election. And I mean that wholeheartedly and I invite people to reach out and connect also on the basis of digital well-being as I am in the process of pursuing a certificate with the Digital Wellness Institute and will be partnering with the Associated Collective to offer services to everyone whether it's individuals, families, or groups to support people and help them find their optimal state of mental and physical well-being as we relate to our daily tech usage. And I'm also excited to introduce this week's guest, Teodor Pavkovich, who is a member of the Digital Wellness Collective. Without further ado, here's Teodora. Yeah, I'd say just for for posterity's sake, if you could introduce yourself to the audience and a little bit of background on um, on what you do or what you do in the world. Sure, sure. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Tudora Pavkovich. I'm a psychotherapist, a parenting coach, and an international speaker. And my background is primarily in psychology. And through my uh, bachelor's degree training, my graduate school training. In psychology, I've just come to be even more curious about human beings than I was before I embarked on on that journey. I knew very early on that I wanted to to be a psychotherapist and that I wanted to, as I call it, be a professional brain picker. And I thoroughly enjoy that today as I did uh, 20 years ago, which is when when I started my bachelor's degree, actually. It's hard to believe it's been 20 years. But my background's in psychology and I've trained a lot in different modalities of psychotherapy. So talking therapies are really my, my expertise and I've trained in cognitive behavioral therapy, hypnotherapy, solution-focused brief therapy, um, and some coaching uh, approaches. And so a lot of what I do right now is working with uh, both parents and children individually, but also delivering workshops, trainings, talks, on topics around uh, emotional intelligence, mental health, positive psychology, and then digital wellness, which is one of the kind of the more recent um, additions, I guess, to my toolkit, but it's also a more recent kind of area of interest for me. It wasn't something that I kind of started off um, in this field being interested in because it wasn't really around. Um, I, I started studying psychology in 2000. We weren't talking about tech in the same way that, that we are now. And just earlier today, actually, I was speaking with a few uh, colleagues who are parenting coaches as well, saying that none of us were really trained in, in that kind of true sense of the world, word, whether it's you know academically or, or otherwise, to help parents and kids with their technology use. But 
hopefully what we're trying to do through this work is use the knowledge that we have from our backgrounds, which are really varied. Uh, many of us come from a psychology background like myself. Um, some of us are educators, others are kind of true parent coaches. There are some people who were you know, in the marketing field and then decided to almost kind of go to the other side if, if, if that's the way we can kind of um, qualify that and describe it to help uh, both, you know, both adults and kids try and make sense of this role that technology plays in our life and the impact that it has on our mental health, on the way we relate to ourselves, on our friendships, um, something that's more recently become very important in the U.S., how we consume information, how we make decisions, uh, you know, on a daily basis around everything from who we're going to be friends with to, you know, um, what product we're going to buy, who we're going to vote for, and just so many other things. So um, that's kind of the my current area of, of interest, but I really come to, to that field of digital wellness from this background in psychology and emotional intelligence <clears throat> and positive psychology and really try to use the principles from those um, fields in order to help people kind of make sense of, of themselves as digital citizens, which we all are right now. Given the breadth of um, not only your experiences uh, that led you to today, but also with what you are doing, the scope of what you're doing today, I would imagine that you're um, you're quite <laughs> quite busy, given the uh, the spectrum of what we are dealing with today. Mm. Yeah, true, true. Um, there's um, yeah, there's there's. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of stuff going on, which I, I guess we we still, or I know that I sometimes still think of it in uh, as someone who was born in the '80s, which I am. Which is, you know, this is just happening in America, or this is just happening in Cambodia, or in you know Nigeria, which, whichever country, you know, why there's, there's that initial question of why do they care about this in what, you know, whatever part of the world, but um, because of technology and because of globalization and because of the way technology works and marketing works and all these apps and platforms that we're on uh, people across the world are impacted by something that happens say in America or in Cambodia or in Nigeria. And we, we all feel it for better or for worse. Um, sometimes when it's the spread of, of, you know, good, positive, uplifting, nourishing, nurturing information or events that happen, it's a wonderful thing. Um, but of course we, we can't really pick and choose. And so when it's negative things, they really do impact everybody. And it, and it's very difficult to, um, whoever I've spoken to over the past few days to not have a conversation around, for example, the U.S. election. So it, does, it doesn't matter who I spoke to, whether it was my family who are in Serbia or friends I have who are in Singapore or, you know, obviously people in different parts of the U.S., everybody's talking about that. And I think it's, it's just an interesting testament to what technology has become and, and how wide of an impact it has. So for those of us who... Um, are professional brain pickers uh, and who are concerned with people's health and well-being. I think it's a challenge for us as well to, you said breath, to expand that even more and to, to take into our awareness even more um, information and to, um, to really be open, I think, with every person we speak to and not assume that we know what impacts them or what affects them or what worries them. Um, to really kind of let them tell us what that is and, and why it is that, that they're so moved by that. Yeah, wow. As you were mentioning that, suddenly this, um, not this particular image, but this, this concept of, you know, tech as it spreads across the globe, um, I wonder if in a way it leads to this kind of homogenization of culture mm -hmm. or of pop mm -hmm. culture, or like, like we are, today mm -hmm. is Friday, November 6th. We still mm -hmm. are, you know, have a contested presidential election. And mm -hmm. as, you, as you, you know, I, I was talking to um, a relative in Israel the other day and, and mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's kind of the only thing anyone 
can or will or is willing to talk about right now. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, uh, can no, you absolutely. Speak sure. Absolutely. There were a few, a few things that kind of came up for me as, as you were saying that one is that I, I recently traveled to, uh, to Serbia. And one of the things that I've noticed, obviously the kids there are also using TikTok and they're using Instagram and they're using YouTube and um, the, the, the phenomenon of the influencer also very much exists there. And, you know, we've, we've always had global trends. I mean, that's, you know, that's always been the case, whether it's fashion or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. But I really, I, I noticed it in a, in a very different way this time in a way in which I, I've, I've not quite seen the embodiment of, of such a trend now as I, as I did before, where I was seeing a lot of these young girls kind of age range, I don't know, maybe 13 to say 18 or 19, who look exactly the same as some of the girls that I'll see here in New York City, or that I'll kind of, again, virtually see in other parts of the US, like say California, or, you know, wherever, wherever they might be um, situated. And, and it really, it, it it wasn't even just a trend. It really was a copy paste um, type situation where the clothes they were wearing were the same, the way they were doing their hair, the way they were doing their makeup. And I was really, again, being a psychologist, I, I tend to take things apart into, you know, their finer detail. And I, 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 I was really shocked by the, the similarity in, in how they looked, where it wasn't just about I've taken on a trend and I'm incorporating it into who I am. It's I am becoming that kind of person or, or, or not even a person it's an identity really yeah. so and I and I think that does speak speak to that um, to that kind of homogenous existence that we take on whether it's the narrative we have around U.S. elections or the you know the latest makeup trends or you know whatever whatever it is and I, I don't know if we can kind of blame technology on that but the fact that technology exists in the form that it does makes that possible so that if you're a girl somewhere in eastern europe you can you can really down to the t copy the makeup trends of the girls say in the us um, on the other hand though another thing that i thought about in terms of this idea of, of globalization and of the spreading of of trends um, i was looking at the calendar earlier today to schedule something for next week and i realized that friday the 13th is coming up next week. And Friday the 13th is, or, or rather the fear of Friday the 13th is something that spread throughout the world long before we had technology in this form, right? And long before we had Instagram and long before we create memes around Friday the 13th, you know, we're, we're talking about the middle ages in Europe. Um, and something that happened, I don't wanna geek out on people too much, but an event that was very specific to one you know, population, um, the, you know, the, the Templars in Europe that then spread and became this, you know, Friday the 13th. And a lot of the time people who are very superstitious and, and again, afraid of Friday the 13th, I'll ask them, do you know where that comes from? And they won't know, they won't actually know what the origin of the story is. And yet it's something that's spread globally. So I think to a certain extent, it's, it's just human nature mm. and it's just the way you know it's it's the way we communicate and the way we interact with each other it's the way our brain works it's um the the psychological basis of superstition and communication all these different things but again the fact that psych um that technology exists in the form that it does right now makes it really easy that much easier for for these sorts of things to to spread um and kind of one of its maybe negative aspects is that it i think it leads to this very homogenous um, I don't know, just again, taking up of identities, which um, takes away so much individuality and so much, um, I like to call it the kind of beautiful messiness of what it means to be, to be human and to be living in different parts of the world. Yeah. Got to digest that for a moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, cause I, I, I really appreciate that at the very beginning of this, you, you mentioned that you are a brain picker and you like to take yeah. things apart mm -hmm. uh, to understand them. You know, I, yeah. you know, assu assuming that as I hear that you're, you're telling me that you're a visual learner. Definitely. Yeah. And, um, 
I I can relate to that in in my own subjective um, way, and which is kind of what led me also into not just into UX as a field before I'm now jumping abandoning ship from UX mm-hmm. um, as a whole. Right now, it seems um, uh, yeah, it is is it is rife with um, unethical practice. And we don't really need to get into that at this moment. The reason why I'm bringing it up is because um, the the growing prevalence of digital wellness as a field that touches on education, psychology, um, sort of the health and wellness uh, fields, um, how it affects, yeah, conversation, connection, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, I am, I am curious to know from a parenting coach perspective, uh, what has, what does the field look like to you, um, being based in New York or are your, so I'm assuming because of your, uh, psychology background, and I'm assuming licensing, you could really only speak, you could speak with or work with clients in New York State. Is that correct? So actually, it's exactly the opposite. Okay. Um, because, uh, because I've I've lived in, in a lot of different places. So I'm a third culture kid, which is a, a slightly different um, aspect of the story, I guess. But uh, because I've lived in a lot of different uh, places, I continue to have clients in a lot of different um, places. And that's because I practice as a coach, um, definitely while I'm here in the U.S. because I'm not licensed here as a uh, mental health practitioner. So kind of the the benefit of that is that I'm able to um, speak to people who are in in a lot of different places. So both who are here in New York, um, some people who are uh, back in Serbia, where I'm originally from, uh, people in the U.K., people in Singapore. So, So in those terms, it provides me with with that uh, kind of global perspective on on parenting but you know on, on so many other things as well mm-hmm. um how did you so when did you get into uh coaching sort of given given the the spectrum of your background so wh- mm. where does where does coaching come in Sure. So that was, that's the most um, kind of, again, similar to digital wellness, it's the most kind of recent addition to, mm-hmm. to what I do. Um, I was primarily focused on, um, on psychotherapy, um, primarily on kind of CBT based psychotherapy with some elements of, of mindfulness and hypnotherapy. And for the most part, I was doing that therapy in a kind of classical one-on-one setting with either um, younger adults or, or older adults. And then kind of on the side of that, I was also working with children. Um, I've worked with kids, with young kids in educational settings. So kind of kindergarten age kids um, and, and then also doing kind of workshops more. um, I wouldn't call them therapy workshops, but, but kind of mindfulness and and EQ based workshops, again, for younger kids, um, kind of the, the kindergarten ages is, is my sweet spot. That's, that's mm. my favorite, my favorite group of, of kiddos. So I've, I've worked a lot with them, uh, teaching the mindfulness practices, um, emotional intelligence, body awareness, um, positive psychology practices they can use and, and things like that. And so it was kind of during my transition from Singapore, which is where I lived before I moved to New York, um, during that transitional period of of moving to here, where part of it was just for the practical reasons of uh, not knowing quite how long I would be in in New York um, and discovering that the licensing process is pretty arduous and (laughs) time consuming and complicated and, and all the rest of it. Um, but, you know, I still wanted to do what I've always wanted to do and, and be able to, to do that here. And so part of that kind of transition into coaching was for, uh, for that reason. But then the, the kind of the, the digital wellness coaching came from some of the, the early observations I had in Singapore of how um, technology was, was starting to be taken up by, by families and to be used by their very, very young children. Um, so again, because I'm, I've, I've mostly worked with, with younger kids, 
I'm always observing them kind of in, you know, in the wild and, and seeing what they're doing and what they're up to and how they interact with, with their parents. And what I started noticing in kind of late 2015, early 2016, was that I was increasingly seeing kids um, on devices in settings in which they normally wouldn't have a device or there wouldn't really be a reason or a purpose for that device. So um, on the bus, for example, while a child is just kind of looking out the window, um, you know, mindfully observing what's going on without them uh, around them or, you know, wondering what's going on in nature and, and whatever else happens in their in their little brains um, or settings where they would be having some food with their parents, um, being out in the park with their parents, being in a stroller. It was just settings in which you normally wouldn't, um, you wouldn't kind of, I, I think of it as limiting the child's outlook in a sense, yeah. um, because what we see with kids oftentimes is that it's during those times in particular when they're either in a stroller or they're looking out the window where their brain can really kind of do what it does best, which is just kind of wonder and daydream and ask a lot of questions about what is what is going on um, in the world. Or it can it can go the other way too, and they can become incredibly bored, mm-hmm. which is wonderful because mm-hmm. well, it's wonderful as long as you let them fix that problem. Right. And that's right. often what we see is that that problem is being fixed with the the device. And so that was when I started to ask just myself to begin with questions around okay what does this mean if you essentially the way I conceptualize it insert a device between the the parent and the child in those moments where either the child would be left kind of to their own devices for their own brain to do what it does or in the instances where the parent and child would have that opportunity to connect over something what happens if you insert a device into that situation and if we think in terms of developmentally what children need to to grow up the way they they need to grow up ideally um if again if if there's this connection to to that device starting from a very early age um what what can we potentially hypothesize might be the problems or or, you know Mm. might be the issues might be the challenges and so that was when i started to focus on that topic of digital wellness and then moving um into new york it became kind of the focus of my of my work. So do doing digital wellness coaching, whether it's um, individually, I do a lot of workshops as well. So workshops, talks um, in, in different settings. So whether it's a school setting, corporates, um, and then kind of more recently also um, having, you know, d- different companies like marketing companies, for example, that create products for children, um, reaching out to me, asking questions around, you know, are we doing this the right way? And is this developmentally appropriate? Or people who are creating apps or platforms for kids reaching out and saying, we really want the psychological perspective, not the usual psychological perspective, which is around, you know, persuasive tech and and all these things that persuasive design that we're familiar with, but really thinking in terms of what is developmentally appropriate and and what are children like when they're one two three four five and how do we make sure that we don't overstep um you know whether it's ethical boundaries or other types of boundaries in terms of how we create product for them so that that's really my i guess my mission you you could say or, or my goal my aim my hope when it comes to to this digital wellness work that i do um that is still not really kind of mainstream. I, I yeah. think, you know, a lot of organizations like Digital Wellness Collective, which we're a part of, are, are doing amazing work to really get the word out on this and to really kind of establish digital wellness um, as a, a kind of legit part of well-being and, and one that we really need to pay a lot more attention to. So um, I'm, I'm hopeful for the future. I'm, I'm seeing an increase in interest in this topic, whether it's from corporates, from parents, you know, from schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that interest will will only grow because it's 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 incredibly important. And I think those of us who are in the psychology field really understand just how kind of just how subtle that impact can be, especially when you're talking about about younger kids. And for me, really, my my main wish is is for parents to just be aware of that, to know what the potential. Uh, kind of challenges can be there, what the the potential, I don't want to say damages can be because I, I don't miss, unless you're talking about very severe overuse of tech, there's no damage that can't be repaired. So right. it's not like, oh God, I ruined my child because I let them use 
you know, yeah. the iPad when they were two. It's absolutely not that. Yeah. Um, but it can create subtle, subtle differences in terms of their ability to, to pay attention, to stay focused, um, to be able to emotionally regulate, to be able to maintain eye contact, a lot of, a lot of different, different things like that. So, um, so, so that's kind of my goal with, uh, with my own practice when it comes to digital wellness coaching, to really educate and raise awareness um, first of all, and then to help people establish a, a much healthier relationship with tech. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Uh, it made me think about, so myself as a parent to a five-year-old, mm. to a kin- official, yep. <laughs> official virtual kindergartner. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I would, I would love to pick your brain on, on this, this age range in particular, yeah. just at least not selfishly for myself, sure. but also just for people who sure. I, you know, who I know in my community who, who have four and five-year-old kids. Mm. Um, and before we get into that, I just wanted to comment on your observation. And I, I was mm. sharing those observations uh, just before I became a parent when I was working um, back in 2014. Uh, I was working with this really um, popular coconut water company while I, where I was like a brand ambassador and I was doing demo. I was like I at Whole Foods dem- demoing coconut water. <laughs> what an amazingly also terrifying sort of anthropological spelunking right. um, experience where all I saw left and right mm. were two, three and four year olds with mm. 10 inch iPad, not, not, mm. a, not a mini, not even a right. phone, 10 full inch, size. full mm-hmm. size iPads um, in the stroller like this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the parents mm-hmm. just not giving a, not giving an F. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really struck me. Yeah. Um, and, and quite literally, because at the end of that year, you know, my partner and I found out we were pregnant. And, um, and that's, that's, what's so interesting about it. It's Mm -hmm. not that I thought to myself, oh, this person is damaging their child. It's more of this immediate social, it's like this double edged paradox Mm -hmm. of a social stigma. Mm -hmm. There's a parent who probably under who possibly without knowing yet, but possibly understandably Mm -hmm. doesn't want their child to act out in a supermarket. Sure. Right. Yeah. But also you lose when well, you lose the connection yeah. with your child to look at things or to look at objects or to notice people or to notice Absolutely. whatever in a supermarket. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and maybe the and and today, mm. or I guess just before the pandemic when we can go to playgrounds because playgrounds were closed for yeah, you know, the better part of eight months. I mean, mm. just being with my at the time four-year-old, mm. you know, we would go to the playground and as soon as kids can leap into being immersed in a playground, a parent will whip out their phone yeah, and just, and who knows, are you Mm -hmm. distracting yourself? Are you, Mm -hmm. are you, are you having your own pacifier, so to speak? It is this double-edged sword. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. If I could ask you a quick question though, did you ever, did you ever find yourself giving your child the device while they were in a stroller and any in a similar situation. So we only have one. Um, we have one sort of what's, it's not even a rule. It's like, there's a free for all sort of code of, of conduct that we have in our family, which is when mm-hmm. we're in transit, we will mm-hmm. save some movies. Like if we're flying, like we fly in a world that no longer exists now pre pandemic, we would fly once a year to London to go visit family. Mm -hmm. And um, so we would, you know, pack the movies Mm -hmm. if there weren't movies on the airplane, uh, you know, interface. Mm -hmm. So like when we're flying or when we're on road trips, Mm -hmm. it's, it's there and it's accessible and it, you know, it's accessible based on what, (laughs) what we provide in terms of, in terms of content. Sure. Um, otherwise, we are we are as present in the world as we sure. can be, and of course, mm-hmm. that's a conscious choice, and it's not easy. Sure. Sometimes I wish sure. I could just, mm. you know, 
please take my phone and occupy yourself for 20 minutes. You yeah. know, I, I'm, yeah. I want that sometimes too, but I, sure. I don't want to rely on that. And so that's, mm-hmm. it is a, it is a kind of a reinforcing, sure. um, you know, it's, it's a conscious a belief, decision. It's a conscious decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I just asked because, um, Obviously, as as a psychologist, I have my reactions to, you mm-hmm. know, when when I see that as well. And, you know, ju- I mean, it, it is a judgment in a in a sense. I, I think I like to defend my right to <laughs> judge, you know, based on the fact that I'm I'm coming at it from that more, you know, the academic psychological kind of, you know, what is best and what it, you know, what is healthiest although I also withhold my judgment because that may be the one time over the past two weeks that the, you know that the parent right. had so it's 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 a very nuanced uh, kind of thing but the reason why I ask is because you know oftentimes you'll hear from parents that you know oh I used to look down upon those you know those parents I said I'll never become that parent and then you know and then you have your own kid and you find that oh gosh okay this this is harder than I thought it was going to be um, and and then parents will sometimes find themselves reaching for for those devices. At, you know, some people call them digital pacifiers, and they use them you know for that purpose. And so um, I, I just wanted to make sure that we that we kind of voice that as well because I'm sure, sure. there may be some parents who are listening to us going, oh, you know, crap, I do that too. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I give that to my kids. So yeah. it's you know, lots lots of lots of parents do, and like you said, it's a very difficult choice so I think it's important to have understanding for that but I'm, I'm also glad to to hear you sharing about the fact that it's been a very deliberate very conscious very intentional choice on your part to set up certain rules around that you know this is this is how we interact when we're together and this is this is what we prioritize we prioritize that direct human to human connection even though of course we have tech available and we can use it if we need to but we don't want to rely on it as a as a kind of uh kind of crutch and so yeah. i think that's one kind of one of the most important guiding principles that i always um share with with parents in general is to is to really try and aim for that as much as you possibly can to to not rely on the digital pacifier to not try and use it as a crutch because kids also especially when we're talking about young kids um they learn very quickly yeah. Which, you know, a lot of parents will, will see, you know, we've got one-year-olds who, who know how to swipe the screen, but if you, and there's been videos, I think on YouTube or something of one-year-olds not knowing how to use a magazine, they keep swiping the front, you know, the front page thinking it's going to swipe. Holy shit. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And again, for me as a psychologist, I'm horrified when I see that, but a lot of parents will go, Oh my God, isn't this amazing? Look, my kid knows how to, you know, how to swipe. So we know that kids learn very very quickly the problem is that they get used to things also very quickly and that's just down to to the brain that's how the brain um copes it learns very quickly because kids are born into this world not knowing what the rules are and they'll just absorb everything around them as a sponge so um you know oftentimes what i see and i know a lot of other um people who are in this field who have maybe a psychiatry you know background psychology backgrounds as well um, have have noticed that you know young kids who are very who, who tend to use tech a lot as a digital pacifier also tend to be the most irritable and so then you find yourself in this loop where your child is very irritable and then you use the tech to try and pacify them and then it works for a tiny bit of time but then it really doesn't and then they get even more irritable and it keeps going around and around and um, just recently, again, when I was on my way back from from Serbia during that flight, there was one child about, I think she was about two or three years old, um, very irritable during the flight. You could just tell that she couldn't, she couldn't find a comfortable spot. And she was very cranky and she was kind of crying, but it wasn't that hysterical, loud crying. It was that much more subtle, just kind of, I'm so frustrated. I don't know what to do with myself type of crying. And once we landed, um, I, I saw her and her mom again. And as soon as they landed, um, the, the girl was on a phone watching videos. And I remembered that literally up until the second when we walked into the plane, she was doing the same thing because I had seen them. And that's not to say that every child who, who 
you know, watches videos on a smartphone will be like that. But I wasn't surprised that she was that level of irritable for a a pretty long time. It was about a 10 hour flight. And for most of that time, she really, you could just see she was uncomfortable in her own skin. She couldn't, she couldn't figure out how to kind of sell, you know, soothe and, and, and calm down. So that's another really important thing for parents to look out for because it does become a loop um, very, very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially like I, I can only imagine at this stage of like year 800 in this pandemic. Yes. Um, yeah. As a coping strategy for parents. Yeah. Who just need baseline mm-hmm. survival. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. like what? That's that. Yeah. Just, I mean, really out of curiosity, you know, mm-hmm. as, as a parenting coach, like mm-hmm. how have parents been approaching you? Um, in this atmosphere saying, you know, please help me, mm. um, you know, fine tune this or, or change yeah. it so that it's, so that it's perceivably better. I mean, like, what, what do you tell folks? Yeah, there's been, I mean, across the board, there's been a lot of overwhelm regardless of, of, um, of where these people are based. So again, like I was saying, I, I'm lucky enough to get that global perspective. So I, I talk to people, who live in a lot of different places and and the overwhelm i think is the is the commonality it's it's the same for everyone whether um, they are able to work from home or aren't whether they do have a job or they don't um, whether they are struggling financially or they're not it's it's just a it's a common thing there's there's general um, overwhelm and because they know when they reach out to me that obviously digital wellness is one of the things that i um, that I focus on, they do have that level of awareness of their probably better and worse ways in which we can use um, our technology, uh, which is always great because it makes my job that much easier because then we can kind of go straight into those, um, those conversations. One of the other things that have been coming up, um, that has been coming up a lot, again, across the board, and I've read this in, in different articles and, and seen it in the news and things that a lot of parents are reporting that their kids are have become incredibly clingy and incredibly kind of dependent on them and the parents first reaction is oh you know what's going on what's what's wrong what's happening why you know why are you like that and i've been trying to um to just kind of reassure parents that this is actually a really positive really wonderful really beautiful thing on the one hand Part of it is that they're afraid. Um, they're very much aware of what's going on around us. We often underestimate how much kids are, are aware of, of what's happening. So part of it is because of a sense of fear and a sense of insecurity. But on the other hand, really all it is, is and this is especially for parents who, who work, whether it's part-time or full-time who've been working outside of the home, your kids finally get to see you. They get to see you at times of the day when they're not used to seeing you. And inside they're thinking, yes, finally, I've got them. They're right here. And so they latch on and they don't want to let you go. So, um, so that, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's definitely a, a positive thing. And I try to kind of help parents sort of ease into that because their first reaction, because it's strange for them too. They're not, it's kind of sad, but a lot of parents are not used to seeing their kids for extended periods of time during the day, especially if they work full time and if they're used to working outside of the home they'll maybe see them for a couple of hours, maybe three hours a day tops. So part of what what I've tried to to do and to encourage parents to do as much as possible is to really take advantage of that clinginess, which at first seems really annoying or or alarming or, or whatever it is. And to use that kind of it's a it's a kind of a call that your child is is making it's an invitation that they're making to you that they want to spend time with you and they're scared and they need your presence again you you were talking about presence before they need your your reassurance so really kind of use that as as much as you possibly can really kind of lean into it don't kind of don't try to fight it um, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not a negative thing. It's it's very much positive, and so that that's been one kind of one one aspect of it. One of the things that I've been um, saying to parents when it comes to to tech use, I definitely don't have the attitude of let's just try and slash you know screen time as much as we possibly can because it's a lot more nuanced than that. Um, a lot of the times, I find that parents actually have a a certain idea of what they want to do even before we start. So sometimes they'll want to go completely tech-free 
and they just need a little bit of support with that. Um, sometimes they'll, they want to go kind of tech minimal. Um, other times they, they, they don't want to, and they just kind of, they, they just want to establish some rules around how, how technology is being used um, in the home. And then my role really is as a coach, really to coach them through that and, and to, to help them to, um, to kind of test things out and see what works and see what doesn't work and then, and then adapt. But one of the most important things I always try to impart on them is that there are better and worse ways of using tech. Another important thing is, is that if you have more than one child, it's very unlikely that exactly the same kind of rules will apply to both. And, and that's something that comes up as well. And that's something that parents can struggle with sometimes because, uh, you know, they will say, well, I have a 16 and a 12 and a seven-year-old and the seven-year-old wants to do what the 16-year-old is doing or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, and, and then it's really looking at the kind of natural occurring differences that, that happen in your kids anyway. You know, one, one child maybe knows that they need to stay away from sugar because it doesn't have a great you know, impact on their energy. Another one, um, you know, may be intolerant to gluten or, or something like that. And so they're the kid who doesn't have gluten while the other two have gluten. And so it's really finding examples within your life that are there already that exist. Um, and, uh, and just saying, you know, much in the same way that we regulate, you know, how the three of you eat or how you do whatever else it is, the, the color of, of shirts you like to wear, you know, um, that, that we're going to do the same thing with tech because it obviously has a different impact um, on the 16-year-old as compared to the 7-year-old as compared to, to the 8-year-old. Um, and I think for, for families who have that age range within the family, um, they're, I think for, for us as coaches, as psychologists, we really appreciate the way tech plays out in their family because it just shows you how you can't use the term screen time and just say you should have more or less of it um, because different kids have a different affinity towards different types of technology and devices both you know hardware and software and it'll have different impacts on them depending on what they're like anyway just as you know depending on their temperament and and personality so uh, so there's a little bit of that as well when it's a family with more than one child it's really looking at the two or more kids and looking at, okay, how does tech impact them both? Um, how do they like to use technology? What are the ways in which they like to use it? And uh, maybe it's not so bad that they spend, I don't know, an hour on Fortnite, for example. Like maybe it's okay. Maybe it's not no cause for, for alarm until you see maybe certain warning signs, then maybe we have to go back and we have to talk about it a little bit, but maybe it's not such a bad thing. Maybe they're all right, but your other child maybe is not doing okay spending that one hour on, on Fortnite. And so then maybe we need to change that up um, a little bit. So uh, yeah, so it is, it is a, a, a nuanced approach. I, I try to encourage, I think we all should as much as we can try to connect with each other as directly as we can right now. We really need that. We, we need that desperately. And there was a really great article, I think in the New York times a few months ago that said that we're all becoming really socially awkward because we're not used to, directly communicating with each other anymore. So even as adults, we're struggling with this a little bit. Um, kids are having a, a really difficult time. But again, the kind of third and final thing that's the, the most important thing that I remind parents of is that kids are incredibly resilient and kids can go through adversity and they can bounce back and they'll come back and oftentimes they'll do it better than we can. Um, and, and so I also always encourage parents to talk to their kids, especially when it comes to, to tech use, um, over the past few months, I've, I've been involved in a few different, um, kind of summits and, and projects where youth have really led the conversations around tech use and, you know, kids, even as young as, as six and seven, um, who use different types of technology are aware of the fact that there is such a thing as, as too much tech. And there is such a thing as, it stops being enjoyable after a while and it gets stressful and it gives me a headache or it gives me a backache or, or, or whatever it is. And some of them come up with their own ways of regulating their tech use, not all, but some of them do. So that's also something that, that I always encourage parents to do to really have that conversation with their kids. One of the main reasons being that, you know, we need to be role models for them. And let's be honest, we're not the best role models when it comes to tech use. Many of us have our own issues 
And, you know, whether, and I always say this, whether you're a parent or not, I encourage everybody to be mindful when they're around children, your children or other people's children, um, when it comes to how you use technology. And so that was a rule while I was using the subway in Europe, which I no longer do, but I kind of just made a rule for myself that if I ever, you know, hop on the subway and there's a small child there, um, I won't use my, my phone or whatever my tech is while that child is there. Because there were so many instances when I saw the child, you know, sitting on one side of the car on their parent's lap, looking up across the car and everybody's face is buried in their tech. And that child is just not able to make eye contact, not able to smile or make noises or, you know, just connect with that other person. And that just made me incredibly sad. And I thought, okay, I, you know, I know better so I can act better. So anytime I'd get in a car and there was a child there, I'd always put my phone away. I'd look at the child, make eye contact, smile at them, sometimes chat with them, depending on how chatty they were and just, just have that connection with them um, so that they have a sense of, you know, there was at least one grown up today who paid attention to me and who actually noticed that I'm alive, you know, and, and that I'm there and, and, and that I'm a person. So yeah, I, I, I feel it's a, it's really a collective responsibility, whether you are a parent or not, I feel we're all responsible for how children grow up and, and how they develop. And um, like the, it's, it's, I know it's a shabby term at this point, but it does take a village. Um, it takes the whole planet, I think at this point. Wow. Yeah. I'm in total agreement. I mean, personally, mm -hmm. uh, like just from my own my own subjective 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 experience in the world um as a person but also as a parent right. i mean some of my i mean as you're saying that you immediately brought me back to some of my favorite experiences in the world are like riding the metro or the tube yeah. Yeah. with her yeah. And just and experiencing people and like, you know, yeah. and different cities obviously are going to like, I think maybe more people on the metro were sucked into devices, less so on the tube. Right. Not, it's not a judgment, but like, it's yeah. just something I, something I observe. Right. You know, in those, in those cumulative experiences. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. There's so much more to like tease out <laughs> in, in this particular subject. Mm. Um, but the one thing I would like to add um, is as one of the strategies that, that we use, you know, here at home, like if, if there's going to be, let's say meal prep and, you know, letting her watch a program or something, mm -hmm. something new mm -hmm. that she could watch while we're in the same, we're in the kitchen together. Right. Um, something that I, I consciously am always doing is, is keeping the conversation going even though we may not be eye to eye, but just like, Hey, sure. so tell me the story. What's going on in this yeah. show? Who are the characters? What's, what mm -hmm. are they dealing with? To, mm -hmm. Just to keep some, yeah, some level of engagement going. So it isn't just full detachment. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And that's, and that's a wonderful example of the role that technology can absolutely play in, in all of our homes and all of our families and, and ways in which it can just provide an, an, an opportunity, like you said, to still stay connected. And there's one, um, there's one example, I mean, there's, there's quite a few, but there's one example that I really like to share in terms of what that looked like in my home. And I also always, especially if, if I'm talking to, to kids, when I'm talking to parents as well, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And so I always say that, you know, I was born in the 80s, I spent a lot of time watching television, you know, when when I was a, a kid. So there's, you know, there's no, there's no denying that. Um, when I was about, I don't know, I was a couple of years old, probably or, or two or three or something like that. We'd have those those instances where um, my mom and I when my dad was at work, we'd be um, Home alone in the apartment and I was obsessed with Wizard of Oz I mean obsessed to the point where um, my nickname to this day or one of the nicknames that my dad has for me is Dorothy because I just I was obsessed with just everything to do with the Wizard of Oz and so one of the things that my mom and I would do was when she would go into the kitchen to start prepping the food we'd put I think Wizard of Oz was on all day long every day anyway it was it was just kind of always there so we'd put Wizard of Oz on 
um, it, you know, the TV was in the living room, we would both go into the kitchen and I would pull out a drawer and pretend that I was Dorothy walking around the pigsty. And then I would like fall in and I would fall back out and stuff like that. So, um, so that was an example of how technology was very much present. Um, and, you know, it was, it was television. It was a film that lasts longer than the 20 minutes that, you know, according to, you know, the American Pediatric Association or whoever I was probably supposed to spend at that point. But I also wasn't glued to it in that sense. So it was a moment for, um, on the one hand, for my mom and I to, to connect and to, and, you know, and she'd probably call me Dorothy and we'd get into a whole little probably, you know, interaction and little role play. But it was also um, an opportunity for, for me to, to kind of play and to stimulate my imagination and to role play and to um, develop the, the foundational aspects of empathy that every child develops in a, in a similar way, which is putting yourself literally in, in another person's shoes. And that's literally what I was doing. I was impersonating Dorothy and I was kind of experiencing what that must have been like for her to, you know, in that instance, fall into the pigsty and, and, and so on. So that's one example that, that yours reminded me of that I always like to share because one of the, the other things that I'm a huge proponent of is always, not always, as much as you can to co-view and to co-share um, tech. So especially when kids are, are very young and there's been you know, a number of studies that have been um, carried out that show that when it comes to children's ability to comprehend storylines, their vocabulary, um, you know, while they're using tech, it's much, much better if there's an, uh, an adult there to ask the kinds of questions that, that you brought up. So asking questions about the characters and their motivation and their emotional state and what they were thinking and all these different things. So having that adult there to kind of have that back and forth and to, to again, kind of tickle the rain a little bit and get them thinking about, um, about certain things is really, really valuable. So um, so when it comes again to that younger kind of age group, I think um, tech can play, uh, you know, or, or not even tech, I don't like to call it, whatever is in that tech. So if it's a cartoon, if it's a storyline, an audiobook, whatever it is, it can play a wonderful role in that family in times when you're getting ready for bed or you're prepping dinner or you're having a shower, it doesn't matter, whatever it is. Um, you know, movies and, and uh, books, music as well was another really, really huge one for me. Some of my kind of most vivid memories are of um, music that, well, to begin with, uh, my dad played on a, on a record player. And then later on, we got a little bit more advanced with, with our tech, but it, it was still tech and it, it still had a role in our home, but it was, it was through the music. Um, and so then we'd spend countless hours, you know, dancing together and singing together and talking about the music and about these different musicians. And again, they were coming from all over the world. And, um, and I remember, again, one of the, the most vivid memories that I have when I was very little was of this Eurythmics album cover where she had very short hair. Um, and then his name, John Stewart, I always forget his name. But anyway, he had very long hair. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, she's a girl. And she has really, she looks like a boy and he's a boy and he looks like a girl. And then my dad would talk to me and then we, you know, so it's all those, it's all those conversations that you have with your kids that, you know, it doesn't just have to be, you know, for the people who are very tech extreme in the sense of like no tech, like there can't be any tech in the home at all. All of the conversation and the development and everything just has to kind of come from from within you it doesn't always um it's great when it does but but there's also so much just wonderful stuff out there in the world and it usually comes from the arts uh, you know whether it's theater or music or or film or you know books that can be wonderful conversation starters and that can be a wonderful way to teach your child about the world that they're about to kind of step out into once they're a little bit older. So, um, so yeah, I think there, there are great ways of using tech to initiate, you know, those kinds of interactions. Absolutely. Um, wow. It feels almost like a strange duck juxtaposition to go into a different topic at this point. Um, again, cause there's just so much to, to, to just to touch on and mm. uh, you know in terms of parenting mm. in a pandemic in in 2020 yeah. um i almost feel like it would be way too cliche to even talk about to even talk about just this week the significance 
<laughs> this week and just how you feel and what you yeah. are thinking and or maybe yeah. what you're talking to our your clients talking to you about or asking you questions about you know mm. how do I deal with you know xyz or maybe sort of stress yeah. and anxiety as it pertains to the significance of this week right right yeah for me it's it's been an interesting experience because um and I've been saying that for the past few weeks and, and that's maybe why also the, the people who I'm working with professionally aren't necessarily bringing that up as a, it's not something they're ne- necessarily asking me questions around specifically. It's more questions around kind of stress and, and coping and things like that. But um, I'm, I'm living in the U S so I'm looking at this kind of from the, from the inside out, but I'm very much an outsider because I'm not a citizen. And so I can't vote here. And so I have no impact on, uh, on what happens kind of, you know, either way when it comes to, to this election. But I think one of the most interesting aspects of it has been what I'd mentioned before in the sense that it feels like it's a global election. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's, it's localized to this particular continent. It's just, it's kind of spread out everywhere. And, you know, partly due to, to again, tech, as we were saying before, and, and partly to do with a lot, I think it's just a kind of confluence of a lot of different things, but it's just been interesting for me again to to observe what has been going on, and I think for me personally, it's it's been a little bit of a of a defense mechanism as well, right? Because when you're an observer, you're not really involved, you're not in it. It doesn't really move you and impact you and affect you as strongly as um, as as when you're an experiencer. This is more of kind of that observational aspect of it. So, um, so I, th- I think that that kind of global the, the, the global quality of what has been going on um, has, has been very interesting. It's, it's also been interesting to, to see what the ways in which people have and haven't been able to, to cope with what's going on. And so a lot of people have been saying, you know, I've been doom scrolling like crazy this week, which is, you know, one of those terms that we use in, in digital wellness that basically talks about, you know, going through the news up until it really starts to feel very bad. It almost feels like you're self-harming um, by by doom scrolling. So a lot of people have been saying that, you know, that they've been doing that. Um, a lot of people have just been kind of refresh, 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 refresh. And actually, I saw a very sweet, um, I think it was on IG, uh, somebody posted saying that uh, their friend's three-year-old asked, when is mommy going to stop watching that show about maps? Um, because, you know, maps are... <laughs> Are the only thing that the only we thing have we're <laughs> on our screens exactly so this little three-year-old is wondering when is this show about maps going to to stop so um Actually, you know, so, so yeah <laughs> so so that's been very interesting and then for 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 me personally it's been interesting because it's been bringing up a lot of um it's just been a, a kind of reflective I guess period for me I grew up in, well, I grew up between Eastern Europe and the Middle East. Um, both countries that I grew up in went through civil war in the 90s. And so I was exposed to a lot of, um, and again, this was before we really thought about should five-year-olds watch this kind of news? Should seven-year-olds, you know, there was just, there was no kind of censorship or ratings in, in that sense. People didn't really think in, in those ways. So from a very early age, I was very used to watching some pretty horrific news about um, killings and bombings and, you know, all the other things that, um, that, that is, that, that um, is kind of included in, in civil war. And so, so I've been, I've been thinking a lot in terms of that and in terms of how children today who are watching the news, how they're handling it. Um, And again, I always come back to um, not saying children should be watching the news intentionally, but I, I try to, alleviate parents' fears as much as I can and say that children are very resilient um, and that, you know, um, in, in the moment, you know, things that are, that are causing them stress, they're things that they can definitely overcome with your help as, as the parent, but not, not to worry too much in terms of, again, that long term effects, like, oh, has my child been ruined or are they forever going to have issues now because they watched, you know, the show about maps um, all of, all of this week. Um, you know, that, that's definitely not the case that, that definitely won't happen. I think on a personal note for me, one of the things that was, that was very helpful growing up 
with the awareness of what was going on in, in these countries that I lived in was that news watching was always a communal activity. Um, I never saw the news by myself, which is a little bit of a problem now with slightly older kids, right? If they own their own devices, they can go off into their rooms and then either fall down the YouTube rabbit hole or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. But the, the coming together as a family or as a community to watch very difficult things um, in the news gave me a sense of, of safety that I, I feel kind of um, protected me from that initial just feeling of horror and terror and, you know, complete fear and complete insecurity. But the fact that I was there with, you know, a couple of generations of my family or family friends, or, you know, I, I wasn't watching it alone. And there were other, there were other people there who could kind of soothe me and who could talk to me and who could, I mean, obviously who shouldn't have let me watch the news to begin with, but like I said, it's, it was the nineties people. So for, you'll have to forgive them for that. Um, but, but that sense of community, I, I think was very important. So, so that's something that, you know, that, that I would say to, to parents as well. Um, it is, it is a scary world and it's a very strange world that we live in. But again, as long as your children don't feel alone in all of that, and, and as long as you talk to your children about that. And as long as we all kind of remind ourselves that, you know, this too shall pass, it's, it's often not the best outcome. It doesn't mean it's, it's, it's the, the, it doesn't mean that the result is going to be great, but it's, it's that whole idea of impermanence, which I think anybody who's familiar with Eastern traditions, with mindfulness, with meditation, knows that that's a really big, it's a, it's a really big topic. Um, it's, it's this idea that we become very rigid and we kind of hook on to certain outcomes and, and it becomes very easy, very difficult for us to let go. But um, for me, one of the things that I've personally found very helpful is to constantly remind myself of that, that there's constant flow and there's constant fluidity. And even in times when it seems incredibly scary and it, and it seems like it's just never going to end, it is going to end and something else will come after that. And it won't necessarily be better, but it will be different. Um, and I think that's, that's where then the idea of resilience comes in as well and, and having a little bit of, of optimism. And I mean, which to me, optimism really isn't about the rose tinted glasses. It's about having a little bit of faith in your own resources and in your ability to kind of, to, to help your yourself in terms of that self-help, but also to really be able to reach out to your community, whatever that community is, however you know, big or small to seek that help. So, um, so, you know, parents, again, as, as, as much as they can to come together as a, a community, I think that's one of the most wonderful ways for children to feel safe and to feel kind of cushioned and protected in those really scary moments is when they know that there's that community of grownups yeah. around them who have some sense of stability and some, se some sense of, um, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out one way or another, we'll, we'll figure it out and we'll, we'll stay together. We, we are, we're, a tribal species. That's what gives us a sense of safety. Um, we're not the lone wolves just kind of, you know, roaming around. We need that, that safety in numbers is, is really, really important. So that's another thing that I would say to, to parents is to, you know, don't try not to do this alone as, as much as you can come in with, with others. If you need to schedule, you know, watch the map show, but, you know, get, on your friend uh, with your friend on zoom or, or something like that, bring it, bring in more people so that, you know, especially if your kids are around, <clears throat> they feel that sense of community. There's, there's other people there. Yeah, that is, no, that is uh, timely and, and uh, almost poetic in a way. And I, mm. I definitely relate to that. I mean, being an eighties kid, Right. myself and and uh yeah. i i want to propose one updated or a new term to next yeah. to doom scrolling that i think is a bit more uh descriptive and it's disasturbation oh god and <laughs> it is the most I think, perfect thing I i've think, heard all week because <laughs> i think doom scrolling is, <laughs> is, is is yeah i think it just needs to expand and yes maybe, maybe it should be a two-tiered term um, that's perfect. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And no, and I really, I really appreciate the, the taking in shocking mm. news together. 
Um, yeah. Especially because yeah, I, you know, because I remember, yeah, just being an '80s kid myself. There's mm-hmm. so much more I want to get into, and I, I would like to put a bookmark yes. in this conversation, um, and really look forward. And hopefully, you'll come back and. I'd love to. Yeah. Great. Great. Well, Definitely. thank you so much for the time. Of course. And um, uh, what else can I say? I mean, mm-hmm. I guess we'll be, yeah, we'll be, we'll all be talking and experiencing to collectively what's going to be happening in the coming days yeah. and weeks. And I think there's also this sense that, you know, people realize like this isn't going to end tomorrow. <laughs> no, exactly. That's the other thing. It's, it's going it's that- to. Yes. Yeah. It's tolerance. It's building up tolerance and resilience. Absolutely. And resilience. Yeah. 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 And those are, those are some of the most important things that we need, important skills that we need to develop. And I think we haven't done the best job of that. Technology partly has a role to play because it's so easy to escape the the discomfort. Um, But it's incredibly important that we, that we develop that muscle for tolerance of, of uncomfortable things that we, that we improve our resilience, our endurance. Um, because again, especially for, for, for people who are parents, it, it helps your kids that much more when they can see that you can do it and you're modeling that kind of behavior for them. So again, it's, it's just like you did right now, taking a deep breath and just kind of move through it moment by moment. Um, and, uh, again, it, it, it will change, it will yeah. change and we'll figure out a way to cope with it. Um, we're an incredibly resilient species. We wouldn't be here right now if we weren't. So we can handle it. It's just it's that unknown that's incredibly scary. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Hence the name Wabi Sabi. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's just about, yeah, it's just about spreading that around any way possible, sprinkling yeah. it here and there. Um, exactly. So again, thank you so much for the time. And uh yeah stay safe and stay healthy and stay resilient and um i'll talk to you soon yeah you too adam thank you so much for for having me on and thank you to all of our listeners who tuned in yes oh and please and and um also send me some links that i can uh, add to these show notes as well please sure okay great all right take care thanks adam bye-bye bye